Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Chaloner. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership role yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply, and you may even be on the show in future. Um, joining us on today's programme on what is another warm, sunny morning here in the capital, I'm glad to say, is Jolian Bennett. Jolian is the CEO and founder of Juice Global Limited, a manufacturer of mobile phone accessories, supplying high-quality, innovative, bold and colourful products to this tech-savvy mobile generation of people. Uh, Jolian, very warm welcome to you and thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, good morning um, and hi everyone. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure, Jolian, and certainly is a lovely day for it as well. Um, not to sort of dampen the mood of the uh, that's generated by the good weather, but I think we should start by addressing the elephants in the room here, and that's the fact that we are recording this podcast in mid-July 2021. And so even though social restrictions have been lifted in England just a couple of days ago now. Um, We are still somewhat within the grip of the COVID-19 pandemic, aren't we? And that's now been the case since March last year. So over the last sort of 15, 16 months at large, how has all of this affected you and your business, would you say? God, that's a ginormous question to start. Um, Can we not warm up with like, um, how's your day or something like that? Um, So, um, so, uh, the, the truth of the matter is that anyone in business, uh, 18 months ago, when we were sitting there um, looking at our, our business plans and looking at how we were going to trade through um, 2019, 2020, 2021, 20, 20, we were like, yeah, these are all of our P&Ls. This is what we're going to do. Uh, when, when COVID landed on our shores, uh, every single business plan of every single company in this country was torn up. And... Um, you can take that in a number of different ways. You can take that as uh, uh, in complete panic, which I think I did go through a phase of complete panic. Um, uh, you can go through a phase of um, elation where that actually um, you have now as a business person, as an entrepreneur, you need to uh, get your game on and rethink um, your plans and find a way through something that you just could not have predicted. And I hope, touching wood, um, that we never see again. So um, the impact on uh, me um, personally has been that I've had the opportunity to have a really, really good look at my life and look at what I'm doing and look at um, what all of the team are doing within Juice and really review how we work as a business. And also individually, back to me personally, um, uh, how I'm working and what I'm doing with my life. I feel like COVID has given the entire country, business um, professionals, an opportunity um, to to really, really have a good look, an introspective look of, on how they're working, how we're all working, how our staff are feeling getting on the train every morning. Um, now they haven't had to do it. And I think that, that coming out of COVID, we've got an opportunity to create a uh, better a more balanced business environment for everyone. In terms of the impact on Juice Global, I'm really proud to say that myself and my team have uh, have have grown. We've seen growth in revenue and net profitability of around 25% over over the um, 
uh, the COVID period. And so, um, uh, sure, we've had some really, really hooky months. But overall, we've uh, the schemes and the, the the projects that we've run during the during the pandemic have uh, seen our sales growth. So we're delighted. We're coming out stronger and and better than we've ever been. And I think I can say that for Juice Global and also for myself personally. Yeah, that's incredibly positive and something that is very much at the heart of your business as well is sustainability, isn't it? Um, indeed, Juice has been recognised for its sustainability efforts by Stephen Pacitti, the pre- uh, former president of the International Packaging Press Organisation, no less. Um, and we've become very aware, haven't we, about sort of how our working practices affect the planet, affect the environment. And this is why more people are looking toward maybe working from home, not commuting as much, cutting down on their sort of carbon emissions footprint. Um, looking at some of the products that they buy, even something as simple as that. So I think there are some real benefits to come from this. And I think businesses like your own, which do have the environment in mind, those are the ones that are in line to benefit as we sort of look at building that better, aren't they? Yeah, I think I think that um, it's a really interesting um, interesting shift that we've seen over the pandemic, but also over the last four or five years where where people have, have started really um, considering uh, their impact more and more and more. And the electrification of um, the the car industry has certainly made people more aware. The fact that uh, the fact that climate change is a thing that's happening, you really would struggle to pull together a case now to say, "Hey, this isn't real." I'm sure there's someone somewhere listening to this that's going to go, "Well, actually, these are the facts, and this is." Um, but it's rubbish. We are negatively impacting our planet and and consumers. I, I mean, I when I look at my black bin, so the black bin in my in in my uh, county is the one that takes away the just the rubbish that's not going to be recycled. When I look at that full, I'm a little bit ashamed. I said, like, God, I've created that waste myself. Me as a human, myself and my daughters have created that waste and it's now going to go off and I'm sure it, it may well be treated, it may well be burned, it may well but, but some of that is going to get buried and it's we consider ourselves a modern country and a modern society, well, I, I think we'll only truly be modern when we, uh, when we stop creating mountains of rubbish that we send off on boats to go and be buried in third world countries and I think that uh, the, the change in attitude that we're seeing, I'm, I'm climbing up onto my soapbox I'm going to get down in a second but the change in attitude that we're seeing uh, towards plastic is really positive because plastic is a great material we've got something like three 300 billion tons of it um, on planet earth at the moment we that's going to be around for between 500 and 3,000 years depending on the plastic we need to use that we need to use it for everything. We need to stop growing trees and cutting them down and using cardboard packaging. We need to be reusing the plastic that we've got and reusing it and reusing it and reusing it. And um, uh, I'm heartened to see that the consumer's attitude is slowly becoming a bit more informed. It's, you know, the, the, let's not make new plastic. Let's absolutely not do that. But let's use post-consumer waste plastic to create new things and then reuse it again and reuse it again um, and, uh, you know, use all the benefits of the, uh, the card industry where we're growing, growing trees in order to 
um, uh, chop them down. Let's not chop them down anymore. Let's just reuse the plastics. And I, my, myself and my business have, have pioneered this from the mobile technology side. And we've been rewarded by amazing consumers that have bought more of our products because we are using post-consumer waste. We're using that Ebian bottle that you're throwing into your um, into your recycling bin. We're using the the um, the tray from the strawberries that you put in there. Whatever it would be, we're going to reuse that and make packaging out of it. And um, yeah, it's a hugely positive initiative. And we've seen huge sales growth due to the fact that consumers do really care. Which yes, you consumers like have faith in humankind because most people are. Um, are willing to make a change to do the right thing. I think that's very, very right. And I think another real change that we've seen over the last few months as well is a heightened awareness of our own mortality, our own health. And that doesn't just go for physical health, but also mental health and well-being as well. And within business, just how important is that? Not just, of course, in terms of looking after sort of that of the people around you as a business leader, because that is your role, but also your own as well, because we have to be aware of the effects of CEO burnout when you're sucked into that sort of survival mode of running a business as well. It's so interesting and it's such a good point because people don't care about the CEO. Um, and I say that it's slightly glibly. Um, uh, when you talk about uh, well-being in, um, in your workforce or in business, it's never the CEO that's first at the list because the CEO, um, uh, him or her or whoever it would be, uh, get lots of money. They get lots of money. They get lots of status. They've got shares. They've got this. They've got that. They've got a good expense account. Um, all of those perks and all of those rewards from doing that job, they do not stop you from having challenges in your own brain. They do not stop you from from uh, finding general day-to-day life difficult. You know, money or... Um, uh, whatever it would be, uh, it just doesn't help. So um, I'm a, a ginormous, ginormous um, uh, fan of, of you know, giving the mechanisms for coping to the senior management team as well. And it's, you know, I've worked in jobs. I've worked at the bottom of a business where I was a telesales account manager well, I, I literally sat and made 150 phone calls a day in a startup. And um, I've been the CEO of large businesses and directors of NASDAQ businesses. And it's hard at all levels. It's not easy. You know, it's tough at the top, but it's also tough mm. at the bottom. And working in the, uh, the modern world, the digitalized world, where we've got emails on our phone, we've got, um, we've got computers. We've got computers that we take home with us. We've got our work, our office follows us, and and that never used to be the case. So unless you can find ways to control um, and be disciplined, and find mechanisms for coping, and use those mechanisms, and, and know when you need to use them, um, then everyone, whether it's a CEO or whether it's um, the office cleaner or whether it's someone that works in the canteen or if it's someone who heads up the whole uh, marketing function, whatever it would be, all of those people will struggle. And um, I, so I see, and yeah, CEOs, senior managers, well, you're getting paid lots of money, stop moaning. Hey, it's just the same for them, you know. And so for me, my mental health and the way I approach looking after my body is 
is central to everything I do. I I don't think, and it's and it's not just going to the gym. It's actually what you eat. It's um, the amount of time that you take out, how you uh, clear your brain, how you relax your body. And um, I, it's taken me many, many years to get the balance right. And it's really, really tough because it's so the traditional societal way of doing it is uh, we would uh, open a bottle of red wine on a Friday night, have a gin and tonic and use alcohol in or, or something else. To, to wash away the week when actually as much fun as it is and as much as I do enjoy a beer or a glass of wine, uh, you're better off going and doing something else if you want to get yourself back on track and relax mm. properly. Yeah, and what sort of techniques do you sort of yourself use to kind of take that step back and sort of switch off when you need to in that case? Um, uh, okay, so uh, four years ago, I was given the best present ever by my and then sales director, who's um, subsequently gone on and, and started her own hugely successful business, um, a woman called um, uh, Marianne Bloman, Marianne DiMarzo now. And she um, uh, gave me a, um, uh, a block of three private yoga classes, yoga and meditation classes. And I started off doing those in, um, it was deepest, darkest winter, um, uh, three and a half years ago and uh, I haven't looked back the techniques that you can learn from yoga from meditation from pranayama which is just breathing um, are incredible and life-changing I would say the, the best decisions I've made over the last two two and a half three years have been made after resetting my brain using yoga and using um, uh, pranayama and uh, meditation and it's a, it's a real buzz at the moment, isn't it? Everyone's talking about doing, doing yoga, doing meditation, and, 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 um, and it's, it's the thing that's absolutely helped me more than anything else. And as we were, as we were talking about before um, we started recording this, I, getting out in nature, go and, go mm. and like, I, you know, tree huggers used to be a bad thing. Hey, go and give a tree a cuddle. Like the energy you get from a tree is amazing. So I'm, I've lost, half of your um uh your audience now i'm so sorry um but oh, no, it's um, you know yoga meditation pranayama get outside uh and careful what you eat careful what you're putting into your body and um eat well and so um do all of those things and lo and behold your mental health will will improve will stabilize you'll have techniques where you can where you can actually stop the anxiety. You know that voice in your head that everyone's got, that you've got, that I've got, that voice that is constantly banging on and saying, hey, you're not good enough, or you didn't do that right, or this is going to go wrong, or you know, that really negative voice. I'm sure, are you about to tell me that you haven't got that voice? No, no, it happens sometimes. I think everybody is a victim of that self-doubt every so often, aren't they? And uh, we all suffer from it. I think everybody has that sort of little bout of imposter syndrome, and it's about sort of getting over that. Of course. Well, do you know what? It's not about it's not about getting over that at all because you're always going to have that, and it's always going to be there, and it's always going to be something that's going on uh, uh, for you because everyone has it, and everyone has that. And um, the thing that I get from yoga and from meditation is being able to silence that voice, even for a short amount of time, where I can sit down and concentrate on um, uh, me and just breathe and silence my. Um, 
uh, you know, stop giving attention to that voice in your head. And so mental well-being all across the workforce is so important. And and also draw those boundaries. Like have I, I thought I was working at home for a year, a year and a bit before I could feasibly go into my office. And I used to, um, people have laughed at me so much for this, but I used to go and put my work clothes on. So I would go and put a juice, um, uh, a juice polo on and I'd put some shorts on or some trousers and, um, uh, and my trainers and then I'd go to work and I was going to work at my, in my kitchen and then come six o'clock when I was finishing six thirty, I would go and take my work clothes off and I put my home clothes on and then I would go, you know, I'd pack everything away and then I would be at home and creating those boundaries and getting that discipline is something that you can take from, this pandemic, something you can take and say, okay, do you know what? I am, I am not going to work all night or I'm not going to, there's no glory in sending that 9.30 email. And sure, I've worked long hours. I'm sure I've, when I started my business, I was working 12, 14 hours every day just trying to make it work. And I understand working long hours, but it's not sustainable for you in the long term. It's not sustainable for anyone. And also life is short. You know, go and do, I think that's another thing that so many people have realized that, that they actually really like their families. They actually really like where they live or they don't like where they live and they're moving or they don't like their families and they're getting divorced. I think that there was a, um, a huge amount of um, realization uh, and uh, introspection that has happened during COVID. And I think if you choose to take all of the positives from it, mm. like anything, then you can be. We've learned an awful lot, haven't we, from this period of self-reflection that we've been able to have. And a lot of that has been about lifestyle and the work-life balance like we've just talked about there. And it's good that you talked about sort of the beginnings of the business as well a little bit because you've built that business around your passion and used it to do good. And one of the next things I was actually going to ask, um, as well as, of course, the work-life balance tying into this, if you could actually sort of go back and address the younger you when you did start out, what sort of advice would you give yourself with the knowledge that you have now? Um, do you know, I would probably just put my arm around my my shoulder and say, hey, look, you're going to make it. It's all right. Like, just um, just keep doing your do. And um, because when you when you start a business in the way that I did, uh, where you put your house on the line, you sign into an open-ended personal guarantee, you, uh, you literally sign over everything you own to the bank on an overdraft, and then you try and make it work with no customers, no products, no no suppliers, no nothing. Um, it's such a stressful time. I mean, it is so, and we, we talk about self-doubt and we talk about um, yeah, the fears that we all have. Right? I mean, when you're doing that, and I wouldn't recommend anyone does that. It's really not nice. Um, but when you're doing that, to try and get yourself up um, and uh, moving forward, uh, it's so, 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 so stressful. So I would go back to... Um, Joe, ten years ago, and say, "Hey, look, Joe, you're going to be all right. Like, crack on, keep going, and yeah, get into the work, get into the office at seven thirty because you need to do that when you're starting your business, and you probably won't leave until seven thirty, eight thirty, and uh, but you will get the time where you can go to the office at ten and leave at three, and so um, you go for it. I give him a cuddle, 
it probably needs to cut off. <laughs> of course, yeah. I think everybody does when they're starting out, don't they? Because there's so much to sort of learn when you are sort of running a business, um, especially as a young sort of budding entrepreneur just starting out. And I think one of the biggest things as well is that you shouldn't be afraid of setbacks either. I think where we sort of see failure, we shouldn't see it as a terminal thing and we should use it as an opportunity to learn. It's, it's not a failure as such. It's more of a glitch, isn't it? Just a minor setback on the road to success. You're so, you're so Absolutely right. And do you know one of one of the things that drives me crackers is I I listen to these um, entrepreneurs, people like Peter Jones, who you know I've done business with, and I I've I've met Peter a number of times. We worked in the same industry, and uh, Theo Petitis, and all of these. Um, they're really they 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 they're more they're more celebrity kind of Instagrammers now than business people. And I look at them, and I. Look at the, the the way that they represent um, entrepreneurship, and I do, it makes me cringe because they, you know, their their shiny teeth and their perfect suits um, uh, and their, their their ginormous egos just makes me look at them and go, okay, well, what about talking about the time when you cried because you thought you were going bust? What about the time when you had this big idea, you launched it, and it failed? Like, let's remove ego from business and let's understand that i've failed more times than i've succeeded and i and that doesn't mean i'm not going to keep trying things i've had some absolute stinkers and i've lost loads of money because of it and because i i didn't get it right and all of the things that i failed at have all been my biggest teachers because i've chosen to take them that way and um failure and uh failure is uh it's not something that is the end. It is a step. And, you know, I, I've i learned so much from um, working in business and uh, owning my own business. I'm looking at people that, are honest, that can honestly say that they don't know what to do. I had so many moments in the early start of my business where I was trying to pretend I knew what I was doing. And, um, and I really didn't have a clue. And I was petrified. And there was a time when I drove home from my my first office that I had. And I just cried the whole way because I had messed it all up and I was going to lose my house. I didn't know what to do and I wasn't good enough. And blah, 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 blah. And um, people should talk about those times more. We should understand that mm. that it's not about those times. Of course, they're going to come for you. Of course, you're going to have those moments. It's never about that. It's about how you react. And it's about, okay, I'm going to um, uh, take this the, all of the learnings I can from that ginormous mistake, and then I'm going to um, uh, my my one of the, the longest serving members of staff I've got, Steph, who's the general manager of the business now. And um, she says that some nights she would go home when we were starting the business, and she would, in her mind, she would press a great big red button with reset written on it, and she would reset, and then everything would be um, uh, reset, and she would start again in the morning. And I think that's a really positive thing. So mm. take take the learnings, take the stress, take the all of the stuff as positives and, and move forward through it. I think that's one of the greatest pieces of advice you could give anybody uh, in any walk of life, not just those starting out in business. And uh, Joe, as well, having talked about the past, I think it also serves that we discuss the future as well, just before we do uh, wrap things up on the uh, the show today. Um, we know that, of course, restrictions are gone in England for the time being. We're moving into hopefully a period of economic recovery. And as we sort of 
leave the pandemic behind hopefully over the next uh, few months but we also heed the lessons we hope that it has taught us what are some of the priorities going to be for you and your business and where do you see yourselves this time in 2022 um okay so it's always about context i use this example of um when i'm talking about business development to my team i'm talking about well what what is the uh, a glass of water is an example. A glass of water is a really valuable commodity in a desert. And um, when you're in a torrential downpour, it's got no value whatsoever. And so what we need to look at and what we need to understand as an organization what we're working on is what is this new world that we're looking at? What are consumers um, really after from their technology, from their mobile devices? And um, what will the next 24, um, 48 months Hold, uh, in coming back uh, to the new normal, which is going to be um, the new world, which you've got an opportunity to make better. And so Juice is absolutely focused on on further reducing any use of single-use plastic in products also. So we are investing heavily and working very hard towards creating a home compostable technology. So it won't. It, one of the things we're passionate about is we don't want technology to look green. We don't want it to be. Um, you know, we want to have our mobile phone chargers. We want to have our mobile phones. We want to have our Instagram. We want to have our, our whatever it is. We don't want the technological world to disappear. Mm. Um, and we want our products to look beautiful. But we also want those beautiful products that when they're finished that they can be broken down into organic matter and made from organic matter initially. So we've been working with a number of different businesses, finding ways of, of recycling products, recycling um, plastic in order to, um, to create um, the actual devices that we sell, but also trying to make it plant-based. So over the next 18 months, our plan is to remove all, um, all single-use plastic from products. So we've, we're just about there with some plant-based headphones. So these headphones, you basically mm. um, can, once you finish with them, you can take out the PCBs, the electronics in the side, which we, we, we teach people how to do. And then you can put them in your home compostable, um, home compost, and they will break down into organic matter, and you can put them on your veg patch. And we want to go more, more and more that way. Mm. And... Um, and we think that the, the, the planet and um, consumers will also come that way with us. We also want to retain fun, having a nice time. You know, we want to do Glastonbury. We want to carry on supporting Glastonbury as we do every year. We want to, we want to have a nice time. Uh, we're also uh, investing in a technology in, that's coming out of a university uh, in Holland, and that is the capability of generating electricity from the photosynthesis of plants. So as a tree would uh, photosynthesize, you could have a USB port in the side of it and draw electricity out of that process. I know, right? It's like, what? It's incredible. So that's it? a reality in technology. And then also you imagine having wirelessly charging cars driving through a forest and taking the power from the, the sunshine and the rain of the plants growing and eating carbon and releasing oxygen. This is all the kind of stuff that we're fascinated with 
And we want to go further into personal renewable electricity, so creating your own power in whatever way that would be also. I could talk uh, for a million years about the future because I've got so many things that we want to do and so many things that we're excited about doing in the UK and global market of mobile accessories. We would like people to charge their mobile phones from going for a walk. Wouldn't that be amazing, right? So if you're running out of juice, then you say, okay, I'm going to go for a five-mile walk, and I know that's going to give me 30% of my charge. I mean, that's the technology that we're after, and that's what we're Mm. developing. And So encouraging people to be more healthy, encouraging more movement, and encouraging and creating electricity from that, I think that's something that we're also passionate about. I'm sure I've missed something else, another project. We've got four or five of them going. But um, yeah, in a nutshell, we are very much focused on doing different things and spreading those positive different things all over the planet. Absolutely amazing. Um, It's a wonderful mission. It's incredible just knowing what technology is capable of these days, isn't it? And I wish you all the luck in the world, Joe, in sort of making these visions a reality. And I think as we start to understand exactly which way the economic recovery is going as well, and we see some of these projects coming to fruition, I'd love to actually catch up and have you back on the show with us just to see how it's all coming together. Hey, love to do that. I love, I love, as you can tell, and your listeners can tell, I love talking about my business. Uh, So absolutely, yes love to come back on that would be wonderful in future joe and um, until we do hopefully speak again on the program please do continue to take care and stay safe with everything still going on because we're not quite out of the woods with covid yet but i'm pretty confident the better days are ahead thanks so much scott it's been great and that goes for all of the listeners tuning in today as well please do continue to look after yourselves and be considerate of others because it does make such a key difference in saving lives um it was such a pleasure for me to welcome jolian bennett ceo and founder of juice global onto the show today um next up on the show we'll be joined by leaders council chairman and former education secretary lord blunkett who will be sharing his views on the recent events of the pandemic and his hopes for the economic recovery ahead of us hopefully that will be coming up on the program next Lord Blunkett, welcome. Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you. Um, well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, uh, which uh, we must touch on. Um, what would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going? Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage obviously take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, defined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff and, of course, whether they can receive the, the grant, 10000 or 25000 all, all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who, who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world and being able mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in 
that will be really important. Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? Well, only in the sense that people are having to be creative. They're having to adjust and innovate. Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to, but we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery, whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and productivity and and the production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both Uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help, which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce. And I think that will have to be sustained for some time. Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak? I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local supply and linking up inside sectors much more effectively. And I hope that the Leaders' Council will be able to play a part in that in the sense that people who Mm. have something in common, a synergy in terms of what they're delivering, whether it's a service or whether it's manufacturing or whatever, uh, we'll be able to see that there's a, a, a good outcome from n- knowing the sector better, linking with people, not just geographically locally, but those in this country who may not have been on the radar in terms of what they produced for the supply chain. And, of course, um, ensuring, because there's quite a lot of fraud going on as we speak with um, people getting into cyber attacks, that they'll also take account of going into the the cybersecurity side effectively as well. The more we are online, the more people who are working from home, the more vulnerable those businesses and their supply chain become. And that's something to think about as well. How important is strong leadership at the moment? Well, I actually think that it's brought to the fore leadership in a whole range of areas from Obviously, government itself, and there's been ups and downs, but all the way through the public and private sector, people have, to use the jargon, stepped up. And they've shown uh, local, regional, national level the kind of leadership that Britain historically was very good at. Regrettably, we've not seen the same on the international scene for Mm. all kinds of reasons. Uh, but maybe we will in future. So I think out of this will come experience of people who have seen an opportunity to do good as well as seen an opportunity to provide a good uh, service or goods, uh, including, for instance, shortages uh, for the health and social care uh, system, um, the food chain and the like. Uh, But also, I think, in terms of seeing the the synergy between 
the private and the voluntary sector and using people's uh, commitment to each other in a very positive way. I, I'm not sentimental about this. Things will revert. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think there is a, a kind of moment of moral judgment of people feeling that they've got a role to play outside the immediate survival that they're engaged in. And if we can hang on to a little bit of that social responsibility, that will be a very positive outcome. Absolutely. Now, what's your broad view of how the government is responding to this? Are you broadly supportive of their measures? Well, it may surprise people to hear that that I have been very supportive. Of course, there's been legitimate criticisms about the speed of response on protective equipment and on issues relating to testing. But my own view is very similar to the challenge that was made to the Prime Minister of Italy when people said, why didn't you close Italy down faster? And he said, a fortnight before we did it, I would have been considered to be a madman and nobody would have agreed to do it Mm. if I'd tried to move too quickly. And I I think that's something that we need to reflect on here in the UK. We we may have seen the signals elsewhere uh, across the world and taken them more seriously at the time. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. But as someone who's uh, had his life in uh, the opposite uh, political party to the, the present government, I think that with some hiccups and mistakes, they've not done a bad job in what has been incredibly difficult circumstances. And you're absolutely right. In a, in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's, it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um, well, the, the UK and, um, and the US, and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries, have a very different interest, uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required. Uh, those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why getting the balance right of getting people to go along with what you want them to do in their interests as well as the nation as a whole is a sensible proportional balance. And I think we now need to adjust to the coming out of the crisis gradually, uh, readjusting to recovery uh, in the same way. Now, something you've mentioned recently on this balance is uh, the police overreach and the enforcement of the COVID-19 uh, structures that have been put in place. What have they done right and where have they gone too far? Well, I think that they were interpreting what was not necessarily as clear yeah. advice as it might have been for all kinds of reasons because people were feeling their way. I think what's come out of it has been uh, a demonstration by local police services in some parts of the country that they could get people to do what was needed without the heavy hand of drones overhead mm. or people being told that they you know, shouldn't be walking in the street because this was all about self-isolation, not incarceration. It was about getting people not to pass the infection on to each other and therefore to provide distance rather than to make our lives a misery. Those police services that adopted that policing by consent and chipping people along did really well. Those who went over the top, I think, soon got a very substantial pushback. And 
one of the strengths of our democracy is that you could have that debate. People could say, I'm terribly sorry, we, we think the police force in our area has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That, that's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool. Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice. Uh, the health secretary often chairs COBRA meetings uh, related to health. Uh, does this tally with your experience as a secretary of state, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows. Those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust, and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to, to demonstrate their capability. So I, I, I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential COBRA meetings. What I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because mm -hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator, but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were, and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it. So looking back, I think Boris himself probably thinks, God, I wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy, I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today. Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a, a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, well, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated. Mm -hmm. Scientists, medics, people with behavioral science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks, and uh, we should use it. Uh, rightly so. Um, now, was part, pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary? Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. But we did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and, and real, 
on the back of that, but it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh where the university there had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics. And of course, we, we saw SARS and other things emerging. I, I think it would people criticised the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You you can you can sponsor reports. And this is true of business planning, of course, as well, and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy shutdown. Sh- um, these kind of things you, you can look at. But you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS and what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed nations that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for the for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I've put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, mm-hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a, uh, a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food. A lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems. If that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well. So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare. Yes, and to do so on different levels, I think, again, thinking of thinking global but acting local, we Mm. need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope and without uh, obviously we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety we can think about those things for the future in a more rational way i think now aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy not just national economy but also the world economy um, now, it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus? Were it be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of Solomon, really, to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly. 
there's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up, not just on the economic and employment front, which will be devastating enough, but on the health and social well-being front, enormous challenges. And they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives, for a variety of reasons, are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the, the immediate handling of the pandemic, concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19, those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated, that will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well. Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business? I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sunak for his action. Uh, remember, a chancellor who only just come into office was planning to deliver the budget in the middle of March and has had three, at least three equivalent budgets since. I think he's handled it very well, understandably worried now about what we're doing to our economy. The level of borrowing is sustainable because of low interest rates, but it reaches a point, of course, where it tips over so that you can't then do the kind of structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something over the last few months, we, we needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019. I don't think the nation, on the back of what's happened and the challenges we have, could take that. And therefore, we need a different plan, economic plan, over a much longer period, just as we did from the Second World War all the way through to 2002 when the final American loans were paid off. Now, of course, uh, one thing that's on everyone's lips, um, how much longer do you believe uh, that the lockdown can go on for? I believe that we need to be substantially back in action as an economy in June. This obviously is led in terms of places where people would meet in large numbers, having to uh, adjust to the fact that it will be longer for them. And sadly, that will involve business closures. It's why the Chancellor extended the furlough scheme to the end of June. Mm -hmm. But unless we, we get things moving in June, I think we'll run into the summer where all kinds of services and industries will have a chain reaction effect and what happens with one will then have a major impact on another and then you get the skittle effect where things get knocked down that you hadn't perceived were going to be affected so I very much if I were in government and I always think of things in that context what would I do if I were in government I would be on the side from 
the second week in May on the side of the Hawks in terms of saying we've got to start moving and we've got to do so with the collaboration and cooperation of the public who have got the message, who did behave, who responded magnificently. Let's try and get back, perhaps, you know, doing things differently for a time, but substantially getting back to business as usual. And unless we do that, then those areas that can't and wouldn't expect to be back in action immediately get pushed further into the middle of the year in the autumn, and then they become unsustainable. Now, of course, um, one of the other major developments we've had recently are the changes in the, uh, the Labour Party. So if we could just uh, speak on the Labour Party for uh, a while. Um, this might sound like uh, an obvious question, but uh, how does uh, Secure uh, differ from Mr. Corbyn? Well, I'm biased because I believe the Labour Party um, has come out of four and a half years of a black hole of a nightmare mm. uh, where it neither represented a, a, a credible opposition nor a, an electable government. And the combination was to let those who supported the Labour Party and needed some of its policies uh, let them down very badly. Sir Keir Starmer both is a highly intelligent a uh, professional lawyer who, as director of public prosecutions, led the service well, uh, had to take difficult decisions at a time of austerity, understands the world beyond Labour members, but has been able to do business with those who originally supported Jeremy Corbyn mm-hmm. and was able to command support from them. His creation of a balanced shadow ministerial team has been very encouraging. Um, I I supported Lisa Nandy, who he's made shadow foreign secretary, because I thought she understood the north of England and uh, the the disaffected uh, Labour, former Labour voters. But I believe that Sakir has taken on board those who have something really sensible to offer. And I believe he will be both a, a great leader of the opposition. More importantly, he will then present himself as a credible alternative prime minister. And all governments need an alternative government at their shoulder. Mm. Uh, it was true of us from '97, and it took the Conservatives some time to recover and to get to that position, but they did. And the Labour Party will, and that's crucial for our democracy. All of us need to understand and appreciate that a living, breathing, functioning democracy requires uh, a credible, confident, and uh, in many ways uh, supportable opposition, as well as a government that we clearly want to do well, because none of us want, as we didn't with the COVID crisis, none of us want the government to fail. We want to see our economy recover. We want our social well-being to be taken into account. We want to overcome deep-seated inequality and poverty, and we want to do it with enterprise and entrepreneurship and business playing their role, and that is about leadership nationally, locally, in the private and the public sector, people with ideas, with confidence, with the ability to pull teams around them, above all, to have some idea of what it is they want to achieve and a very good idea as to how to achieve it. 
What's the one king, uh, key thing that Sakira needs to do to restore Labour as an election-winning party? I think Sakir Starmer's major challenge is to convince sceptical voters that Labour has not only reverted to a party that they can support because they can see it acting, developing, presenting as a credible alternative government, Mm -hmm. but also that the lessons have been learnt from the fiasco from 2015 onwards. In other words, there have to be very clear signals of substantial change, not just the right words, not just reassurance that we're not uh, going back to some of the crazier uh, policies, but actually that we've understood why the electorate rejected those policies so substantially in December 2019. If people get that message, they'll understand that the Labour Party has changed as it did in the 1980s and early 90s to become the electable government with the greatest majority and historic majority, even greater than 1945, which I was privileged to be able to take advantage of in 1997 when I joined the cabinet. Now, I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but uh, indulge me. Um, Do you think Sakir has what it takes to be PM? Yes, I do. I think he has the background, he has the experience, he has the professionalism, he has the forensic uh, mindset, and he has the confidence to have put a team around him which will ensure that it will work. And those elements are true of all leaders. Ideas, the ability to build a team, to have confidence in that team, uh, and to be able to demonstrate leadership in practice, sometimes at the most difficult times. And, you know, the Leaders' Council, those sharing their thoughts with uh, uh, the kind of thing that we're doing now uh, with uh, a podcast, but also joining us in linking up in that network of people who can support and help each other and learn from Mm -hmm. each other, that is what needs to be done in politics as it needs to be done in business. Thank you very much indeed, Matthew. Well, thank you for coming on the the program. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much, and good luck to all those listening in what has been a nightmare scenario. Good luck for the future. Have courage have confidence, and yes, listen to those who know more about business than I ever will. Thank you, Lord Blunkett. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Chaloner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.